Hello, everybody, and welcome. We're glad you're with us today as we continue on in our Bible study that we're doing on the whole New Testament, actually, but we're in the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 18 today. We've been going through it verse by verse, chapter at a time, verse at a time, trying to hit the highlights and hold the, uh, the books in context so that when you, when you look at verses in context, and, and you've been studying the whole, they, they, have a, uh, they often give you different understandings than you may have had if you've just taken bits and pieces over time. And so, uh, and even holding it together in the entire context of the writing is very helpful. So in Matthew, you know, we've been doing a little review when I start um, as to where we've, what's been happening. And we, we looked back in Matthew 1, we see the birth of Christ and we see the movement around to keep him safe and all the different prophecies that are being fulfilled uh, that, that happened in the first uh, few chapters. And then we see how uh, in, in chapter 3, Jesus is, is baptized by John. In chapter 4, he's out into the, uh, the temptation period out in the desert and what that looks like. Chapters 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. and That's where the Beatitudes are located. And he undoes the teaching of the Pharisees that have been happening for the last couple hundred years in those three chapters, and the Pharisees aren't real happy with him at that point in time because of those, you know, understand every time he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he was undoing these, the couple hundred years of work of the Pharisees, um, which had started right, trying to protect Judaism from being uh, Hellenized or being overtaken by Greek culture, but it drifted off into uh, just a series of rules, uh, adding to the Big Ten another six or seven hundred rules. And we've, we, we have to look at that. It's good that you know that because we have the same tendencies. Um, we have the same tendencies towards being pharisaical and legalistic in our own um, Christian walk. And it's, it's just easier to get to rules. We all do it, but, but we can miss God in, in the rules. And that ultimately we're supposed to be living out of a response to God's love, which would keep us moving in the right direction. But, but oftentimes we, we, we sort of get on the rules. Move in that direction. Well, that's what had happened with the Pharisees. In, the, in chapters 8, 9, 10, uh, you, you begin to see the amazing miracles of Christ as he backs up what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. And he demonstrates that not only did he say the kingdom was here, he proves it in, in the things that he did. The kingdom's upon you is what he said in the message, and he backs it up in the, in the miracles and the signs and the wonders that take place. And we see along the, the same lines that the chapters, you know, he sends out the disciples in chapter 11, and then around the same time, uh, the, the Pharisees pick up their attack against him and they've, they've decided they're not going to receive him as Messiah. They've rejected him in that role and now they're trying to kill him. They want him out of the picture. He's causing them a lot of problems because he's drawing big crowds and he's telling them not to listen to the Pharisees, which, trust me, if you were a Pharisee, he's not making you real happy because it took you a long time to, to get these people to do what you wanted them to do and now he's saying don't do it. So they, he's got to go. And uh, we begin to see the process, and we saw Matthew 13, he begins to teach in parables um, so that his disciples would understand, but the people who don't want to understand aren't going to understand any longer. And they keep figuring out, and the attacks keep coming um, through the process, and, and Jesus is, is talking more and more now to his inner circle, to the disciples, um, and we see miracles like the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Um, out, of, out of his compassion, he moved on the crowd, but he was at this point, also demonstrating things to disciples that they needed to know. And then um, 
last week we talked about the transfiguration. He, he said, told the guys that some of you, will, you're not going to die before you see the kingdom actually come. And at the transfiguration, the beginning of Matthew 17, it comes in place. And we see Jesus and Moses and Elijah there. And the, the, the disciples saw it take place. And it was a huge deal. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of things that we talked about in that process. Okay. That brings us up to Matthew chapter 18. 35 verses in Matthew 18. I'm going to read them to you. You can follow along in your, in your bulletins. You can open your Bibles and read along. Or uh, you can just listen to me read. But it's Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 35. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck than be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven... Always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went out and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Interesting chapter. Lots of good stuff in that one. Okay, so it starts out with a discussion. And this is where you've you got to hang on to what's happening now. The guys, uh, are, what prompts this is this, this ongoing argument that we see throughout the Gospels among the disciples about their position in the kingdom. And they're still not getting the things that Jesus says. Because in a couple chapters we're going to read and see how... The, the big It's Peter, James, and John that have this thing going. And, and, you know, they just were at the Transfiguration not that long ago. And that was a pretty big deal, right? And the voice from heaven came down. God spoke. and Listened to him. And they keep getting stuck in this idea that Jesus has come to set up an earthly kingdom. And that's why they can't hear him. He's telling them it's not going to happen over and over again. He says, that's not what's going to happen. I'm going to die here soon, and then I'm going to be raised to life. But what you're looking for is not going to happen. They, they just won't listen because it's so far out of their paradigm, out of the box that they have, they can't hear it. And they, they've got it. They figured, they know, they've seen the trend. They know this is Jesus, the Messiah, and yet they're convinced that what's going to happen prophetically is that he's going to set up at that time an earthly kingdom that will free them from the oppression that they're under from Rome and reestablish Israel basically as the center of the whole deal, back to the, to the Davidic time. And so they can't shake it. And, and their conversations continually move in this direction. You'll see it uh, throughout the Gospels, this thread that happens. They don't really figure it out until the book of Acts. Uh, and then all of a sudden they, they, they sort of seem to get it. Although even in the book of Acts... The very first question the disciples ask <laughs> when they see Jesus after he's died and resurrected is, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? And he's like, wow. So anyway, but you know, he's like that with us. Don't you think he does that all the time? Wow. <laughs> I, I know he's like that with me. He's like, really? You don't have that yet? Wow. You're slow. You need to be in the slower group, Steve. Um, <laughs> it's true. So, they go. The beginning of the book, the, the disciples come and ask this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so, Jesus uh, decides to take the opportunity, once again, to kind of illustrate uh, the whole process, and he calls a child to him and has him stand in the middle of the group. And um, it's, it's neat, because there's a lot of things that happen, see, in the process. Um, a child had no sort of uh, standing in accordance with Jewish law. So, so that was a big deal. Um, th there's a big deal in the fact that he, he calls a child uh, to him, and the child responds in faith and comes. He'd called the nation of Israel to him who had a standing and they refused to come. 
but the child comes and stands in the middle. And um, Jesus is challenging the disciples, and, and he's telling them they've got to change their thinking. See, that's what that's they're stuck in this process of this earth. He said you can't, you have to, you have to quit thinking that way, or you're not going to be able to get this stuff. And that what you have to do is realize that the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, greatness isn't based on position, but in the willingness to respond by faith to the call of Jesus and serve in humility. But it's, they don't get it. I don't, we don't get it today. The church, there's still these ideas of status in the church that, that certain positions bring a, a status in the church. And, and the problem is that in the church, it's not about who's doing what. It's just that you're, you're doing it for Jesus. We're the ones that put status on, on position and power. But, but it's not that's supposed to be that way. Um, in, in this whole thing, we're, we're supposed to be in it based on our gifts. Certain things are set up in certain ways to, to keep movement and, and direction. But, but ultimately, um, we're the ones that kind of tend to send these things. And we like hierarchies. We like that. See, that's, that's our stuff. We like, uh, well, we want who's in charge. And then knowing who's in charge, where am I? And I'd like to be somewhere up on that ladder because not many people seem to like this. But Jesus said, well, it's, it's this way. And, and this is the, the top of the deal. The, the servants are the greatest in the kingdom. And then, you know, if there are other positions, they're not as big as coming to Christ and serving. See, that's, that's the whole deal. So we struggle just like they did back then. They couldn't get past. And, and the, the 12 were constantly at each other. The, the, all 12 were in it, I'm sure. But the three were the worst because they, they were kind of around for special events. And you'll see it, chapter 20. I love it when James and John bring their mommy in because they're not making progress. I think they're worried that Peter's getting a little leg up on them. And, and Mom, you've got to come. We don't know what else to do. And you'll read it. John and James' mom comes in and talks to Jesus. What, what, what can I do for you? I'd like one to sit at one side and one to sit at the other. And she's a nice Jewish mother. You know what I mean? Isn't that a nice thing to do for your kids? That's a big deal. You can't make it work out, honey? Let me come and talk to Jesus. <laughs> How's he going to resist me? I'll bring him, you know, some... Jewish food, I don't know, matzah, I don't know, but you know, the soup with the things, and you're in, it's going to be okay. I don't, I don't have a lot of Jewish stuff. Um, I got oy vey, and that's pretty much all I got. So, the, the, the deal is, he's trying to get them to change the whole process, and, and so he's, he talks about uh, coming in this childlike faith. Now, he, he puts great importance on children, which is huge because of the time. And, and yet at the same time, the, the, the child is a picture of all those who come to Christ in response to the call. So when you read about, he's going to keep talking about how important the little ones are and not causing people to sin. He's not just talking about children. He's talking about all of us who come to faith in Christ and that, that he's watching out over all of us. And there's some neat verses in there. I love that. Do you like that verse about the angel? Um, uh, where is it? It's in those first few verses. And if anyone causes you, if your hand or foot causes me, if I tell you, yeah, for in verse uh, 10, um, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Do not look down on one of these little ones. They're angels in heaven. Um, I like that concept that uh, we got angels watching over us. I, I, that's cool. I, I believe it. And, uh, 
So it's a good thing. Okay, so, so this is the discussion that, that starts in those first six verses, and he, he demonstrates with a child. And then he, he goes on and he talks about, um, he, enters, he brings sin into the conversation. It has to be dealt with. It still has to be dealt with. And, and uh, those verses are, he's talking about how, how destructive sin is. And so he uses, you know, big pictures of you'd be better off to, to chop off your feet or your hands than, than to, to be continuous. And now, he's not talking about self-mutilation there at all because ultimately the problem's in our heart. And he's not saying, you know, cut that out. He's saying that, that we need to constantly deal with what, whatever is causing us to sin. And, and it's, it can't be taken lightly. Uh, that's, it's verses like that that let us know. You know, we talk about grace all the time here and, and how God gives us a steady flow of grace and we need it all the time. But, but it never um, excuses sin. It, it, it you know, pardons us from it, but it doesn't mean that we're, it's ever going to be okay. We have to con- it's that grievous uh, and it took so much. What Jesus did on the cross for it means that we can never just take it lightly and that, that we never just allow it to be a part of, well, it's no big deal. It is, it's always a big deal. Sin took a big deal to, to cover it for you, took the cross. And um, we have to constantly be working on it in our lives to, to keep moving it out of our lives. He's, he's making it um, have great significance by what he's saying there. Listen, you have to deal with this stuff. It's not okay, and, and it has to be dealt with in our lives. Um, and so, you know, whatever it is, whatever's causing the offense, you need to deal with it. Whatever causes you to sin, deal with it. Some, you know, sometimes this stuff's simple, um, and, and yet we selfishly don't want to do it. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, let's pick a sin, and I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but uh, let's just pick a sin. Here's, here's one. Um, uh, some people struggle with pornography, particularly because of the Internet, and, and it's opened it up to ways in that people have access to it. And one of the things I tell people in that struggle is, get off the computer. And they look at me like I'm insane. I'm like, no, you don't get what a big deal it is. And if you can't stop, get off the computer. Or never be on it alone. Or put some sort of thing in place so that it's not so easy for you to fall into it. And they look at it like I'm talking a foreign language. I'm going, no, sin, this is, this is something you have to deal with. It's taking you down. It, it's, it's addictive and it's, it's horrendous. And, and, you know, I tell people, you, you know, if you, I, sometimes I look at people and go, look, that's somebody's kid. And, and you're adding to their abuse by what you're doing. There's no, it's not a victimless thing. It's filled with victims. And it's sin. And you have to deal with it. And, the, and, and uh, you know, turn your computer so that it's always visible to people. Do something. Don't. So, so I'm not picking on I'm just saying, see, there's things that you do. And, and here's the deal. People lived without computers for a long time. You don't die if you get your computer turned off. You got, you, serious, right? They've lived for a long time. You know, I, I even have heard that people can actually live without a cell phone. I've heard it's possible. Somehow people did it. We're not sure how. But no, seriously, every once in a while, don't you want to get rid of yours? Man, you know what? This thing's a pain. I'm just, I don't have one anymore. Wouldn't that be great? <sighs> Until, you know, your car broke down on the side of the road. You'd be like, oh, rats. Not so fun anymore. But the, the thing is, if, if something, this is the deal. Whatever it is, 
If it's, if it's causing you, it's better to take a drastic approach to deal with it than to go, well, I'm going to get it, then minimize it and not deal with it. If you've got issues in your life, do whatever it takes. Take it, take it to that next notch. It's that important. Do, do what you have to do to, to get it. Don't keep saying, oh, I'm going to get it. Deal with it because that's what Jesus is saying is so important. That's the, the language in, in what he's suggesting there. Matthew 18.11 in, in, doesn't, shows up as a little number in my bulletin because it's one of those verses that doesn't show up in the, in the earliest manuscripts. It's in some of the translation paraphrase. It's in some of the translations. What? I put it back in my pocket. I looked at it. Man, of course I have it. Um, so Matthew 18.11 uh, says in some of the translations, for the Son of Man came to say what was lost. And, and, and it fits in there with the next story, but isn't in the earliest manuscripts. What happened? I'll, I'll explain it again. Remember that we're constantly, we had been constantly discovering earlier manuscripts dated further back to the point now where we have parts of the New Testament as far back as 110, 120 A.D., so within the lifespan of the disciples, the apostles. Um, when some of the translations were translated, they hadn't uncovered some of those older texts yet. And while they hold intention, and, and we're, we're very convinced that we have 99.95% you know, accuracy in, in what we have that's been handed down to us, because God has been meticulous in his protection from time to time, you get a verse that's stuck in there that wasn't there in some of the earlier manuscripts. That's one of them. Where at some point, maybe one of the writers who was, you know, this, they had scribes and they had people that just sit there and copied this stuff. That's what they did. And, you know, they, they, could, they could get a word off or they added a thing here or it was part of this or they thought it belonged in there. If we got a few verses like that. The, the translations like the NIV had decided that since it wasn't in the, the earlier manuscripts they were translating from, they omitted it. Should it be there or not? I don't know. We'll ask God. But it's, it's certainly it's in one of the other Gospels, and it's not. I don't think it hurts anything. Um, the Son of Man came to save what was lost, and we, we have that in other places in Scripture. But that's what's missing in verse 11. Somebody had asked me, why is there no verse 11? That's why. Remember, too, the whole thing was written without, wasn't written with paragraphs and chapters and numbers. We added those for convenience sake so we could all be talking about the same thing. So that we could find them. It wasn't, they were just written. Just written. You know, they had a book. But, but we're the ones that put the... Well, not me personally. Or you. Uh, <laughs> somewhere along the line, we added the numbers so that we could find them. So we knew what we were talking about. It just made it... It, was, it ordered the, the scripture for us. It's like sometimes people will say, you know, this is the verse. It's in the center of the Bible. And it says this. And it depends which Bible version you're reading and how you count and all sorts of other things. So, but it wasn't that... Anyway, it's no big deal. All right, moving along. That was a uh, little trail that I've chosen not to go down. Verses 12 through 14, the discussion continues about the value that God places on little ones. Like I said, it not only refers to uh, children, but to all those who have come in childlike faith into the kingdom of God. And he's not willing that any should be lost. Well... In the last 20 verses, verses 15 through 35, the subject is all about forgiveness. It's about sin, which we just talked about, and the power of 
forgiveness. And it starts out by, by talking about a situation where you've been sinned against. Sin is such a big deal, and forgiveness is such a big deal. The Bible covers both things. Um, if you've been sinned against, you're supposed to go and, and deal with it if you can. And if you've sinned against someone, you're supposed to go and deal with it if you can. It's covered both ways, so that you're not waiting on other people. There's the, we have to deal with whatever our part. And in this instance, um, if you've been sinned against, and you think you've been sinned against, you, you're supposed to go and try and work it out with the with the other individual. You know, if it's a safe situation, you don't put yourself in harm's way. It's, if, it's, if you can, this is something that needs to be worked out between you and the person. It's important because you're hoping to reconcile whatever the problem is. And in talking to the person who you think has offended you, you might find out they didn't mean to offend you or they had no idea they'd offended you um, or that you took something as an offense it wasn't intended that way or they might own up to the fact that they did it and ask you to forgive them and boom, we have reconciliation. We're back on the kingdom track. That's what we're looking for, right? So that's how it's supposed to work. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you've heard of this. Sometimes people in churches have conflicts with one another. <laughs> I know you might be shocked, but every now and again, people won't get along. Um, and, and if it's not handled it can become a it causes division and the enemy loves division and and it usually starts in this process so the, scripturally it's laid out pretty well if someone has sinned against you you go and try and talk to them and work it out because maybe they hadn't meant to maybe there's some there's some big stuff in there you need to, to see what it was well if that doesn't work out it says you know take two or three people and then go and talk to them sometimes we skip the first step when a problem happens and we go right to this other step where we try and get a bunch of people on our side Anybody ever relate to that? And you haven't dealt with the person who's offended you, but now you've got three, four, five people, and you've told them your side of the story. And certainly they're going to, you've gone to the people who you know are going to be on your side, and you've developed your own little camp. Well, now there's a whole nother dynamic in play, because it's gotten bad. That's why there's supposed to be this order. You go and try and, because the best thing that could happen is, and most of the time, Going back to whatever the offense is is going to work it out. Because, like I said, either they didn't, they're going to say they're sorry or you're going to figure out that it wasn't what you thought it was. Or maybe it is what you thought it was and you, then there's another step. Okay, you get another couple of people and you go and try and talk to them because you're still trying to resolve it. You want it worked out. You want it reconciled. You want things to be right in the kingdom. And so you get a couple of the people and you go and you talk. And again, the other person might be able to tell those two people and they might say, you know, we, we think maybe you, you, don't, you haven't understood. Or maybe they, they get to him and, and maybe it's resolved at that point and we're all good. If that doesn't happen, he says you take it to the church. And, and, and the church then, at whatever that looks like, can, can try and get involved, can talk to the people to see if they can come to some sort of decision. It says if, you, if it doesn't, then, then that person needs to be treated like a pagan and a tax collector. Here's the deal. Because I always thought that was funny. People, oh, we're going to treat them. We're going we're, <laughs> we're to get them now. The church is going to treat them like pagans and tax collectors. You know how you're supposed to treat pagans and tax collectors? Really, Jesus treated them pretty well. <laughs> he went to their parties. He hung out with them. And he told them about how much he loved them. Is there a difference? Of course, there's, there's a difference. Because now, now we're, we're sort of we're going to treat them like we would someone who isn't able to respond the way you would expect someone who believes to respond. But you're not treating them bad. You're just treating them like an unbeliever. We don't treat unbelievers bad. We're not supposed to. 
So, so even in the process, all, every one of those steps is toward reconciliation, not to proving yourself right. And sometimes that's where we want to get it. We so desperately want to be proved right that we're going to... I was, you know, you spend a lot of time in arguments if you think you've got to be right all the time. You find that you spend a lot less time in arguments if you're going to think, you might even think you were right, and it's better to say, yeah, probably not. <laughs> I might have been r- r- wrong. But we get stuck. There's just something in us, our pride. And that, you know, it's, it's not, look, again, tie it back into the whole process of not, don't want to cause people to stumble, and we're all to come like children, and we need to work this stuff out. Uh, you ever take kids who are fighting one another and make them shake hands? Now, shake hands. <laughs> and they pretty much shake hands and they usually are better. We don't do that anymore as adults. Well, we should. Somebody ought to just step up and keep it. All right, now shake hands. Stop it right now. Okay, we're all better. No, quit it. <laughs> no, never mind. We're not going to do that. Look, in that, in that chunk of Scripture... See, I talk so long. 18, 19, and 20. Um, verses 18, 19, and 20. Here's, here's what I wanted to talk about, verses 18, 19, and 20. Um, because these three verses get taken out of this context and used for other things all the time. And there, it's a discussion on forgiveness. The discussion doesn't change, and it's going to continue on. And the big thing about a parable, all about forgiveness. These three verses have to do with forgiveness. Verse 18, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. People want to take that and make it about deliverance all the time. I'm not saying there's not some connection perhaps, but it's about forgiveness. And it's saying forgiveness is a, is a big spiritual dynamic and power that we don't even get a hold of sometimes, and it's huge that we operate in forgiveness. Verse 19, again I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. That verse is taken out of context all the time that you can somehow get one other person to agree with you about something, you can get whatever you want. It's about forgiveness. It's about how important it is to maintain unity in the kingdom of God because division is where the enemy runs. And that if we're in, in unity in the kingdom, we can accomplish the things that God's called us to. And verse 20, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. People use all that time, uh, the verse all the time to feel better about having a small turnout at a meeting. There's nothing wrong with small meetings. You don't need a verse to justify them. <laughs> you really don't. If you have a meeting and two or three people come, that's great. Well, we've got a verse for that. No, it's about forgiveness. Because if, if we can get together, see, that, and remember, we just had you took two or three people to go out and talk to people. If you, can get, if you can get the group together, if we can work through the stuff, we can keep moving on in the kingdom. And we're not going to get sidetracked by these crazy divisions that wreck churches. Take them down. So, so we, we have to understand the power of forgiveness. And then that, the, the entire last parable is all about that. It, it's, we've been forgiven, and because we've been forgiven much, we need to extend forgiveness much. We talked about that on the weekend too. And, and the power of forgiveness is, is huge. We've been forgiven so much. People have wronged us. I just did that whole teaching on forgiveness Sunday, so I don't want to go back into it again. But, but, but when you've been wronged, you, you, you forgive people. You don't put yourself back in a position to get hurt again, but you forgive them. Peter comes to Jesus... Last point in, in there, and, he, and he's being very um, um, uh, magnanimous. He's being real charitable when he comes to Jesus and says, "How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times?" Because the rabbinic law at the time was three. You, you, the, the rabbis would teach you you need to forgive someone three times. 
So Peter's, you know, he's trying to be a little more like Jesus, and he's like, okay, three. Let's see, how can I impress Jesus here? Remember, they're trying to figure out who's the greatest. Oh, okay, I got the idea I'm teaching. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take three, double it, add one for good measure. That's good. Wow. Seven times. Jesus, what do you think? Should we forgive seven times? And he says, no. Seventy-seven times. There's seventy times seven. The idea is that you just keep extending forgiveness. You don't keep yourself. You don't put yourself in a position to be abused. That's not forgiveness. You keep giving. You, you give the offense to God, and and you keep giving it until you, you get that peace. You, you know, one of the ways I've told you, and I'll close with this. I sort of get when I've when when I've been wronged. I really feel like I'm making progress with forgiveness when I can begin to pray for the person to be blessed again. Some of my initial prayers aren't as kind. <laughs> and fortunately aren't usually answered, okay? Because I'd regret them being answered. But, but when I can begin to pray for the people to be blessed, I know I've made some progress, and I put them in that spot. It doesn't mean that I've restored the relationship. It means I've put, put, made some progress. So that's all got to do with forgiveness, and, uh, and I, I, I'm going to shut it down there because it's, it's eight. Uh, all right, so um, prayer requests from you guys here. If you're watching on, on the video or on... Uh, uh, up at the fellowship up in, in Williston. God bless you guys. They'll pray for you there. Call us, email us if you need something here at the church. We'll pray for you. But uh, we're going to go ahead and pray here for their prayer requests. And uh, we'll be back next week with Matthew chapter 19.